Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. On her long motion towards the center, now back towards the right. Raiders come with four. Here comes the fifth rusher. And he's sacked! And the Raiders' defense holds on fourth down. And I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. TDLV! Raiders in the end zone! Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. Boy, oh boy, is it getting real, Raider Nation. It really is, man. The NFL, fast and furious. All the news is coming in right now. The Ravens are releasing safety Tony Jefferson. The Jaguars have just traded LaVishka Sanolt, the wide receiver to the Panthers. Sony Michelle, former first-round uh, draft pick running back from the uh, Patriots, was on the Dolphins. He's being released, and that is just a small little handful of what is going on across the National Football League. Of course, tomorrow at 1 p.m. will be the official mark of when every roster has to be trimmed down to 53 men from the current state of 80, or in the case of the, the Raiders, current state of 75. But there's going to be a lot of guys, over 800-something guys, out of jobs come tomorrow at 1 p.m. and never like to see guys lose their job. I know head coach Joshua Daniels has said it multiple times. He'd like to keep everybody because there's a lot of talent on this Raiders uh, roster, and they're going to have some tough decisions to make by 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about a lot of the roster coming up on today's show, but how about that? We go into Friday night not knowing exactly what to expect. Raiders go out there and uh, defeat the Patriots 23-6 to and go 4-0 and on the preseason. And, of course, we know that you can't carry over the wins to the regular season as much as I'm sure the Raiders would love to do that. You can't. But, man, I'll tell you right now, for a team that is having a new coaching staff, a new head coach, new front office, a lot of new – to go out there and go 4-0 in the preseason, I think is a pretty big deal. Again, you can't carry over the wins. We get that. You know, I've seen teams go 3-1, and you know, 4-0, whatever the case may be, and stink in the regular season. I just don't think that that's going to be the case for the Silver and Black. So I got to tip the cap, first of all, just to the team, the organization, the coaching staff, to be able to get these guys all on the same page, quick, fast, and in a hurry, with the majority of backups being out there and going out there and getting it done. And what really impressed me on Friday was the fact that they got it done against the Patriots ones. You know, that uh, Luke Masterson interception, that wasn't off a backup. That was off of Mac Jones. That's the starting quarterback. You know, there was a lot of good defense being played out there uh, by the Silver and Black on Friday night against the Patriots, number one. So just, again, got to give a tip of the cap to the Raiders, the team, and all the guys going out there and giving it everything they had in those four preseason games. But DeMond, who's back in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, I'm at the home studio. We made it. We officially made it through the preseason. Now when the rosters come up, coming tomorrow at 1 o'clock, we'll be talking about the 53-man roster that's preparing to play the Chargers come September 11th. It reminds me when we had Phil Villapiano on the show last week, and he mentioned going into training camp, how players back then after six preseason games, the regular season was starting to be, oh, man, we right. were already exhausted by the time the regular season starts. I know I haven't put on a pair of pads, but I need this break too. Just like, <laughs> oh, man, all right, preseason's over. Right. Now the regular season's starting. Yeah, exactly. It's getting real, and I'm excited about it again. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's 18 weeks, 17 games for the Silver and Black. It all gets started on the road in SoFi Stadium. A lot of folks will consider that, you know, the Raiders home away from home, no doubt, because they're in L.A., and I get that. But technically, it's a road game, so uh, they'll have their season uh, home opener against the Cardinals, of course, the following week. But uh, just excited about the way that this team is, is trending, the direction that it looks like that they're going, the 
the way that this team is being built. And again, I'm glad that I'm not the guy that has to make the tough decisions on who's going to make this roster and who's not going to make this roster. We've got a couple good guests coming up on the show today, but we've got so much to get to on today's show. I mean, you want to talk about some dudes that are going to be so busy today, and we want to hear from you throughout the course of the show at all times, 702-365-9200. We, we, we'd love to hear from Raider Nation. We also want to get your text on the Sam and Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R. But I'll tell you right now, there's not going to be a whole lot of open, open line time. There just won't be because we have so much Coming up on today's show at 2.30, we'll have our normal guest, Ed Graney from ESPN Las Vegas, our sister station, also the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He was there on Friday night. He's been at every Raider game, so he could talk about what he's seen, what he expects, what he's waiting for to happen tomorrow when it comes down to the roster. So we'll talk all things Raiders. We'll even get a little UNLV conversation there with Ed Graney because UNLV came away with the big victory on Saturday at Allegiant Stadium over Idaho State. So you got to tip the cap to Marcus Arroyo and company. All they need is five more wins to be bowl eligible, and that's what it's all about. you got to start somewhere. Bowl eligibility is a big deal. So five more wins for Marcus Arroyo and company, and they'll be bowl eligible. So Graney will join us at 2.30. Uh, at 3.30, we'll have Ted Nguyen from The Athletic. He'll join us. He put out a piece on, on The Athletic all about Alex Leatherwood, the offensive line, and uh, having an opportunity to sit down with uh, uh, all-pro offensive linemen and break down film on Alex Leatherwood and what the all-pro is seeing. Uh, you know, Mitchell Swartz, what he's seeing from – the offensive lineman in Alex Leatherwood, where he can see the issues coming in, where he can see, you know, the struggles, where, you know, he can see maybe the lack of confidence. So it was a really good piece that he put out on The Athletic. So we actually booked this uh, interview on Friday. I was like, man, I got to get you on to talk about offensive linemen and talk about Alex Leatherwood because obviously that's been a big story that we've been talking about for quite a while. So uh, we'll talk to Ted Nguyen coming up at 3.30 about Alex Leatherwood and the offensive line. But that's not all. We got so much more to get to on the show today. Coming up around 2.45, you'll hear from offensive lineman Jackson Barton. He's a guy that I got an opportunity to talk to. Myself and Vinny Bonsignor, we got an opportunity to talk to in the locker room following the game on Friday night against the Patriots. So you'll hear that conversation around 2.45 at 3 o'clock. Uh, was able to talk to many Raider alumni. We, we talked about it quite a bit on Friday's show that I couldn't wait to get to the stadium so I could talk to a bunch of the alumni. And I was thinking maybe I'd get four or five nice little conversations in. Nope, nope, definitely did better than that. Talked to Jim Plunkett. Talked to Jerry Robinson, talked to Raymond Chester, talked to Mike Haynes, talked to Phil Villapiano, talked to Steve Wisniewski, talked to Marcus Allen, talked to Tim Brown. Yeah, we talked to all eight of those guys. And so uh, throughout the course of the week, obviously you're not going to be able to get them all in the show today, but throughout the course of the week, we're going to get all those interviews on the show because those are our alumni, which means that those are never going to expire. Those conversations will never expire. Some of the players that we talk to in the locker room, they may expire because, hell, they might not be with the team after tomorrow. And that's just the reality of it, right? So I want to make sure we get those in quick, fast, in a hurry. So you'll hear from offensive lineman Jackson Barton come up at 245. At 3 o'clock, uh, Raider alumni Jim Plunkett, you'll hear the conversation that we had with him. Matter of fact, he was the first person that we got an opportunity to talk to, so you'll hear from the, the great Raider quarterback, Jim Plunkett, coming up at 3 o'clock. Then we have, uh, let's see, who else? Cleve Farrell in the locker room following the game on Friday. Uh, he'll join it. Well, he won't join us, but you'll hear that conversation we have with Clee at around 345. Really good stuff from a guy who I didn't know, and I said it on Friday's show, didn't know if he was going to be playing his very last game with the silver and black, didn't know what his attitude was going to be like. I will say he didn't run from us. As far as the media, he welcomed uh, the conversation with us. Now, there's other guys in the locker room, <clears throat> Alex Leatherwood, who decided that they did not want to talk to us. Hey, yo. No, I'm just saying. It happened. Hey, man, I'm not firing shots. I mean, he knows. 
myself and Paul Gutierrez, man, we are just we have made our way over to Alex Leatherwood. We are being very respectful to the point where, you know, letting him get dressed, obviously, and, you know, not trying to run up on him while he's still getting dressed. But as soon as he finished getting dressed, he made a little bit of a, a quick beeline over to one of the offensive linemen. Uh, another, be, uh, another offensive lineman said, hey, Alex, they're all waiting for you. You know, it's me and Paul. But then all of a sudden a couple other guys started to migrate over too, so it ended up being about four or five of us. He said, hey, Alex, they're waiting for you. And Alex took off out of the locker room without his shoes on. I mean, he took off straight out the locker room without his shoes on. So that kind of told you that he didn't want to have anything to do with talking to us. So we ended up going over and talking to Clee Furl, had a really good conversation with Clee, who was seeing his first action in a very long time. And about halfway through that conversation with Clee, I look over and I see Alex making a beeline through the, through, the, uh, through the locker room, back to his locker to get his shoes, and then grab his stuff and bounce. And I just kind of tapped Paul on the shoulder and was like, boom, there he is right there. And look. We wanted to talk to Alex. We wanted to talk to him just to get, you know, get, get, a, get a few thoughts from him about, you know, what's going on. I mean, obviously he's here in the chatter, but, you know, this is a guy who was a former first-round pick, man. I mean, you know, there's, there's, it's a job, man. It's a job, you know. So we wanted to talk and just get his thoughts and his side of things, and he doesn't have to talk to us, and he didn't. So that's fine. But Klee talked to us, and Klee's the guy who I think is on the roster bubble. I think no doubt about it. Klee, just like Alex Leatherwood, was drafted way higher than he should have been. And I think he understands that, but he still goes out there and gives it his best effort. And what I saw from Klee on Friday, and, and you combine that with the lack of depth that the Raiders' uh, defensive line has right now, I think Klee actually makes a team. I think he's on the final 53-man roster. And, again, it's not just from what he did on Friday night, but just the fact that no matter what they ask him to do, play outside, play inside, this, that, and the other, he'll do it. Right? I'm not saying that he's mastering either one of those spots, but you know that whatever they ask him to do, Clee's going to do it, and he has, a, he has a good attitude about it, and that's half the battle. Just having a good attitude is half the battle. Knowing that you're going to go put in the work is half the battle. So, I mean, he's, he's where he needs to be, and he put everything out there that he could to show that he deserved a roster spot. So you'll hear our conversation we have with Clee Farrell coming up at 345. 4 o'clock, Raider alumni Jerry Robinson, a guy that, I mean, me and Jerry, I feel like that's my buddy now, right? I mean, I was on the, on the plane to Canton, Ohio. We talked the whole way there on the way to celebrate Cliff Branch, hung out with him at the Hall of Fame on the, on the enshrinement day of Cliff Branch, you know, shared some stories, or he shared some stories with me, and then all of a sudden he comes walking in uh, Allegiant Stadium to, to the little uh, win the Wynn Club area, and uh, Mike Taylor, shout out to MT, was like, hey, we got Jerry Robinson next, and I look at Jerry and say, hey, man, you my Canton, Ohio buddy, man, and he gives me a big old hug, and he's like, Q, what's up, man? So, you know, it's just like everywhere everywhere I end up going, Jerry's there. Wherever Jerry goes, I end up there. So uh, pretty cool, and it was a really good conversation we had with Jerry, so you'll hear that coming up at 4 o'clock. We have Cover 3 NFL News and Notes at 4.15, and at 4.30, another guy who talked to us following the game who I think is on the roster bubble, and I don't know if he did enough to solidify a spot, but, I mean, he, I know one thing. He put everything he had out there on the field on Friday. That's Meek Robertson. You know, he's a guy that, DeMond, me and you talked about quite a bit on Friday's show. Uh, it was an abbreviated show, but it was our show, and I, I thought that, hey, I don't think Meek's going to make the roster, but I'll tell you what, man. He did everything that he could. He left no doubts. He put all his work on the field. Everything he had in him, he left on the Allegiant Stadium field on Friday night. And he'll say that. You'll hear that in the conversation that we had with him uh, coming up about 4.30. You'll hear that. He, he, hey, he's not going to have any regrets and say, well, I didn't, I didn't give it everything I got. He knows he's on the roster bubble. I mean, look, if you're on the roster bubble, you know that, right? There's no doubt you know it. It's just like if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing at, at the job and you, you know that, hey, man, Everything ain't going right right now, but this is what I got to do. I mean, he knows that he's on the roster bubble, and that's okay. Because if you embrace it, 
and go out there and use it as motivation. And I think that's what Amik Robertson did. And he had a really good conversation with me and Vinny following the game in the locker room. Again, another guy who didn't say, nah, nah, I don't want to talk to y'all, man. I didn't. I heard that you guys think I might not make the roster. No, he's, look, he's a pro's pro, man. You know, you just take it how it is. We can't control it. You know, we could be 100% wrong. You know, we could be wrong about it, all, everything, and that's okay. So uh, I thought that Amik Robertson talking to us, uh, his conversation was really good. So you hear that at 4.30. So as you can tell, we have a lot to get to on today's show in a very short amount of time. And I know anyone looking at the clock saying, wait a minute, you guys got three hours. How is that a short amount of time? It'll be over before you know it. Please believe that today. Again, I'm in the home studio. Tomorrow I'll be broadcasting for the Raiders uh, headquarters, the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, Raiders HQ. We expect to talk to uh, GM Dave Ziegler at some point tomorrow following the, the cut. So we'll run that live here on uh, Raider Nation Radio 920, whether it's JT The Brick Show or Unnecessary Roughness. But one way or the other, man, we're going to be locked and loaded, full throttle, dip our head in a tank of gasoline and go. Light that thing on fire with a match, right? <laughs> and let it rip. That's what we're going to do here on the show. So those are the guests that we have coming up. That's the sound that you're going to hear coming up on the show. Lots to get to in a short amount of time, so let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. So, Raider Nation, I want to put it on you. We're going to talk about the Raiders roster. Of course, it has to be trimmed down to 53 men come uh, tomorrow at 1 o'clock. But I want to put it on you. Who do you think either Friday night earned themselves a roster spot or who do you think that you saw enough from during camp that you think earned a roster spot? And if you want to flip it around and say who you think lost a spot, you could do that as well. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. I'll say right now off top, the first guy and the one I feel most confident about is linebacker Luke Masterson. You know, we talked about that on, on, and talked about him on Friday and said that, and I said I felt like it was Luke Masterson and Darian Butler competing for one spot, right? I think there's no doubt about it. If they tr- are truly competing for one spot, there's no doubt about it, Luke Masterson got that job. And not just because he came away with a nice interception on Friday night, but he's just been the guy. He's also a rookie, converted from safety to linebacker that's wearing the green dot. He's a guy out there calling the shots. He's a guy that's lining guys up, you know, making the, making the correct calls. And, all the, by the way, he's, he uh, excels in special teams. And to me, DeMond, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong or, or tell me what you're seeing, what I see from Luke Masterson is a guy who just does things right. You know, ding, ding, ding. He doesn't necessarily have to be the, the super, super dynamic athletic dude. I mean, you saw him on the interception return. He got caught from behind, but that's fine. I mean, it is what it is, right? He just seems like he does everything right. And on that interception in particular, man, he took his drops. He slid to the side. I mean, he read all his keys like he was supposed to do, like they teach you to do, not coach you to do, how they teach you to do. He, he read all that perfectly. Stepped right where he needed to go, and then all he had to do was have his other guy on his his other, his teammate on the on the, on the his team step up and, and do what he was supposed to do, and he stepped up in the lane so the quarterback couldn't run. He let that ball rip, and boom! What's supposed to happen happened. Masterson comes away at the interception. I mean, it was it was as textbook as you can get. I mean, that's that's one of those that a, a defensive coach, defensive coordinator, could put on film and say, "This is what you're supposed to do." from that middle linebacker position. This is what you're supposed to do as a linebacker in this defense. And that was a perfect drop, perfect everything, execution, and then boom, look at the results. Now, I'm not saying that every, just because you do it right every time, you're going to get an interception, but you're going to be in position to get that interception. 
it goes back to what you've been saying, that question that you asked Josh McDaniels a few weeks ago about teaching the players how not to lose before they know how to win. Yep. And being in the right position on the field, that's a perfect encapsulation of that. If, you're, when you're, if you are where the coaches need you to be, good things are going to happen. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you saw Isaiah Zuber later on in the game, right? Didn't have to do nothing. The wide receiver, the wide receiver playing safety was lined up right where he was supposed to be, which they worked on. I didn't even know. Man, I'll tell you this. When Zuber came away at that interception, I'm sitting in the press box thinking, and I looked over at Clay and said, what the hell just happened? <laughs> I mean, seriously, because I didn't punt? know. I, exactly. I didn't know if he was back there on punt coverage. Like, I was like, did I miss a down? Did I? I mean, because I, I didn't know. I thought maybe it's a little later in the game. Maybe I just you know, spaced out for a minute or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I put it on me. Like, okay, I just saw something wrong. But then, no, it wasn't. It was the fact that they had worked on that. They had put Zuber in that position. They said, hey, this is something that might happen. We only have this many safeties that we're going to play. We might put you in this position, and this is where you need to be. This is how you need to line up. And if you do, if you see this certain look, you could come up with a play. And Zuber didn't have to move. I mean, he didn't have to move at all. That ball, like you said, man, it's like it had a target, and it went right to him. So something else we've been talking about quite a bit here on the show is turnovers. I do believe, as the Raiders came away with three turnovers on, uh, on, on Friday night, I do believe that this team is going to create a lot more turnovers than they did. And I, I hate to use the word a lot because that sounds like it could be a ton, but I just think that you're going to see them with their hands on the ball a lot more than you did a season ago. I feel very confident saying that as well. Yeah, you said a ton, but like we, what, what were our predictions? Twelve, right? Twelve exactly. would be a ton for us, right? Yeah, I mean, man, that was way better than last season. Exactly. If you double up what you did last year, I feel like that that's a win. Now, again, like Eric Allen said, and he said it to me many times, twenty was their number. Twenty was the number for interceptions. I don't know if they're going to get twenty. I don't want to put that kind of number. I feel like that's super extreme to go from six to twenty. But look, man, <laughs> I think double should at least be there, and then that's that has nothing to do with strip sacks. I think Chandler Jones is going to help out a lot with that. That has nothing to do with you know fumble recoveries. I, I think there's a lot to like about what this defense is going to be doing. But the the biggest key for this defense moving forward, and then we'll get to Anthony in Minnesota, is being in the right position, doing your job. I know it's stupid, and everyone gets tired of hearing it because it's something Belichick said for years: just do your job. But you know what? If you just do your job, good things happen. Anthony in Minnesota, you starting things off. Welcome to Unnecessary Roughness. What's on your mind? What's up, guys? Hey, I just drove 9,000 miles this month. I got a trucking business, and nice. uh, all month long, listening to you guys talk, it's kept me going. I got a few things to bring up, the first of which, you know, I couldn't be more proud of the effort from the second, third stringers. Our team, I mean, I can't think of a time in the past, and I've been a fan for 59 years, where... I mean, this team was disciplined, a lack of uh, penalties, of, uh, you know, ball control, turnovers, whatever. But I want to talk about Waller for a quick second okay. and then Mark Davis. I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about letting him go. And then I think JT kind of broke something last hour. I haven't heard much more about it, but maybe there's a deal in place. I sure want this guy to stay on board. I don't want to be a thing where, yeah, we've got Devontae Adams, we've got Renfro, we've got Josh Jacobs, we've got all these players, but... You know, we let that guy go because he had enough. I want to know what it can be. And once that right tackle, that line gets solidified, oh, man, I'm on the edge of my <laughs> thing is, gets me fired up right now is, I'm going to tell it to you. I grew up, I heard last hour a caller talking to JT about players doing food drives down at the Southland Mall. Oh, yep. man. Hey, we're in the Southland Mall the last 10 or 15 years. Oh, man. And look where we are now. Yeah. Mark Davis, 
is not in the shadows of his father. This guy's making big swings for years now, and I couldn't be more proud to see 240 to 300 alumni out there watching the TV show, listening to the radio game, the players, their wives and families. This is a class act, and I am so proud, and I couldn't be more proud of this team. Dave Ziegler, Josh McDaniels, I mean, honestly, man, a month ago I was stressed about them coming to our team. But, man, I'm ready to die for them. Let's go (laughs) Raiders! There he goes. Great call. Anthony in Minnesota. And talking about Darren Waller, let's start there. Josina Anderson put out the tweet earlier. My understanding is Raiders tight end Darren Waller has had a deal in discussion that would make him the highest paid at his position in terms of at least the new money uh, uh, average per year metric at $16 million per year per league source. Waller is currently in the midst of changing representation. He can actually hire new representation on Wednesday. So um, obviously there's conversations going on. I don't think you have to worry about Waller going anywhere. I do believe that Waller, Adams, Renfro, Jacobs, all I mean, that's the, that's the recipe for success for the Raiders this year. Now, but beyond that, I don't know. I do believe, and I'm interested to see when this actually – when this deal gets done, if it gets done, and I'm sure it will, but I'm interested to see what the structure looks like. You know, she's talking about the highest paid at his uh, his position as far as new money goes. So that sounds like to me that he has two years left on his deal. They would add something to it. They would structure the deal a certain way where he gets some guaranteed money right now and, you know, feels pretty good about it, and then they move forward. But I would not be shocked at all if you see – about that three-year window that we've been talking about with all these contracts. And DeMond, we've seen Devontae Adams, we've seen Hunter Renfro, we've seen Derek Carr. Wouldn't be shocked to see Darren Waller get that three-year window as well. Exactly. And then with that dollar amount, if it's 16.5, whatever it would take to make him the highest paid tight end in the league, I think for Darren Waller, that'll be a win. Now, you can look on the back end and see, is it fully guaranteed? Right. What's the structure like? But when you see like the splash on SportsCenter, you see that tweet, highest paid tight end in the league. I think that's what matters the most like for the agents and the representation right. on winning the deals and negotiating. Right. No doubt about it. Got a uh, text on the Salmon S text line, 69187. Uh, keyword R&R from uh, Keith in uh, Sonora, California. He said, I remember 4-1 preseason in 2006. They went 2-14 and that season, so let's take it easy. Uh, he's talking about the art shell, and that's the one I talk about all the time where I was like, man, they're cooking with grease, and then they end up being terrible that year. So I completely understand. I think we said that a thousand times on this show and on the station in general. I know I heard JT talking about it last hour, but I'll say this, uh, uh, Keith, and I appreciate the text. This team, to me, doesn't look like the team that's going to go 2-14, and 14, right? Or 2-and, and now it'll be 2-and-15. But I just, it doesn't look like that team. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to go undefeated. Obviously, that'd be insane, you know? But uh, I just, I feel like that they've done a lot of really good things, and backups on top of that are playing with a sense of pride. And they're going out there, and they're playing their tails off. And there's certain things that tell me this, and, and I'll point out a couple real quick. The way that they play defense in the red zone, it's not like what they played – defense in the red zone a year ago, right? How many times have we seen opposing teams now settle for field goals in the red zone instead of being able to punch it in? They also don't shoot themselves in the foot. They don't have those stupid penalties. Like the Patriots scored a touchdown and they got called back on a stupid penalty, right? I mean, there's so many different things that go into it, elements. I think those two alone, though, just playing red zone defense, playing strong red zone defense – you know, not allowing touchdowns every single time like they did a year ago. They were the worst team in the league when it came to red zone defense last year. And also shooting themselves in the foot. They will not be, and I, can, I say this confidently on August 29th, they will not be the highest penalized team in the league. They just won't. I know that you can't always have two penalties a game or one penalty a game like they had on Friday, but 
obviously that 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 attention is there. Obviously, they're not focused in on on having stupid, silly penalties, right? The one penalty they got on Friday night was one that I guarantee drove Josh McDaniels crazy. It was a tight end holding on a third and one where the running back had already picked up the first down, and then the tight end's trying to do a little extra. Not doing his job, Demon. doing a little extra. You know, trying to overcompensate for whatever reason. The first down was already had. Tight end holds, and then boom. All right, holding penalty, third and 11. They don't pick it up. They have to punt. Those are the type of penalties that you're going to see very little of moving forward, in my opinion. But I totally understand where you're coming from, Keith, because, again, you don't want to get over the moon and overexcited about preseason victories because they're exactly that, preseason victories. Thank you so much for that. We'll take some more of your calls and texts. But coming up next, we're going to talk to our guy, Ed Graney from ESPN Las Vegas, also the Las Vegas Review-Journal. We'll ask him about the 4-0 preseason uh, record for the Raiders and what they could do, how they could take that into the regular season with obviously not being able to take this, the actual record into the regular season, but what they could take from that. We'll start things off with Ed with that coming up next here on Raider Nation Radio 920. That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. See, they punch this in here. Third and goal at the three. Garbers tosses left. Brown holding it in his left arm. Runs in untouched. Six easy. TD Raiders. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. This just in from Adam Schefter. Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers agreed to a restructured one-year contract that will keep the quarterback in San Francisco this season. The contract contains no trade and no tag clauses, assuring Garoppolo will remain in San Francisco this season and have the freedom to leave in 2023. I think that's a very smart move by San Francisco. That's uh, what they should have thought about doing from the very jump, and maybe they did, and they decided that, hey, you know what? Now's the time. We can't move on from the guy. We can't find a trade partner. We're not going to send him to Seattle, so let's just go ahead and restructure his deal. So I thought that was a good move right there from San Francisco. Jimmy G will be a 49er in 2022. Join us now on the phone lines from our sister station ESPN Las Vegas, also the Las Vegas Review-Journal, is the great Ed Graney. And, Ed, thank you so much for your time. This afternoon, we appreciate you, and we started off talking about the Raiders and the fact that they went 4-0 in the preseason. You can't take those wins with you, but I'm sure there's a lot that you can take from the preseason and the success they had into the regular season. What is one of those things? What is something that you're looking at that you think the Raiders could take into the regular season that they did in the preseason? I just think confidence and winning. You know, I mean, if you're going to play the game, try to win the game, and I know Josh McDaniels has said that, Q, and... uh yeah, I mean, you want to win more than you want to lose. I know they don't count in the standings, but I think the more you gain confidence in what you're doing and the more you gain confidence in your new coaching staff, the better. So I know the Stars didn't play, but if I'm out there and I, I make the team and I'm on the 53 and I've won four straight games, uh, that gives me a lot of confidence going into the regular season. So, I, look, you, you play to win, you know, and, and, and they won all four. So I think that gives them a boost of confidence that maybe they didn't have had they gone 0-4. What do you think about the lack of penalties and the no turnovers that they had? I mean, they only had one penalty for 10 yards. It was a stupid holding penalty by Nick Bowers, who ultimately gets released two days later. So that tells you all you need to know. But what did you think about yeah. the fact that they didn't have uh, very many penalties, which is very unraider like Well, it means that there's a lot of attention to detail with Josh McDaniels and his staff. And I think they should be given a lot of credit for that. No, you know, very few turnovers. Did they have a turnover? No, no turnovers. Turnover. No turnovers. No turnovers. Very few penalties. Um, again, and that's even more impressive because you are playing a lot of twos and threes, and it's kind of chaotic out there because you don't know who's playing most of the time. 
Um, so that's even more impressive. It, you know, do that in the regular season, it's great, but you do that in the preseason with a lot of guys who are in the bubble, maybe overextending themselves, trying too hard, and you still don't commit a lot of penalties. That says a lot for the coaching staff that's come in here and their intention to detail. And, and McDaniels has talked to that about us uh, many times about their intention to detail and playing how you practice. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that stood out to me is it did to you in the preseason. And people say, well, it was just the preseason. I'll say, well, it's not that easy to get away with no turnovers and that few of penalties. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad uh, the young man did the holding penalty because he was released. So I don't know if that was the main reason, but, but let's hope it was not. Right, right. Well, I mean, you, you never know. You know, this regime, they're, they're not playing around and they're not tied to anyone that they didn't bring no, in. No, they're not. So they, they're trying to find the best 53. And I think that Dave Ziegler is going to have a really a tough time trying to come up with his final 53 because, Ed, I feel like this year in particular, they have a lot of talent, a lot of sneaky good talent, even guys that are undrafted like a Luke Masterson and a Darian Butler. Yeah, I agree. Um, and Luke Masterson's one of those guys you and I talked about on the morning show. I think we both think they're going to make it. I think those guys, I think both those guys are going to make it. Um, and I, I think it goes back to what you and I said, and we've listened to Josh McDaniels. It, you know, there's no loyalty here, nor should they be. This is a new staff, a new GM, a new coach. They're coming in trying to win a Super Bowl or at least build a roster that can win a Super Bowl one day. And they can't have, any you know forethought feeling about a lot of guys now obviously there's guys you know are making the team the stars but when it comes to these other positions like the luke masterson and people like that if they outplayed guys then you know keep them um and and i think we're going to see that in the 53 i think you know we're going to see guys who came in and maybe a lot of people didn't give them a shot at the you know the when camp opened but they played themselves into a role and that's that's how it should be i mean it should be that way it's not always that way because of money and budget and who they are and what the cap hit would be and all that and all the things you know you know I've talked about but I'll tell you what you know if you're good enough and you, and you outplay people you should be on the team and I think that's what we're going to see in the 53 I think Dave and Josh have said that from the beginning and from the moves and the things they've done so far I don't think they've come off that Talking right now with Ed Graney from ESPN Las Vegas, our sister station, also the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Does a fantastic job on both. Well, let's talk about the big, ugly elephant in the room, and that's the offensive line, right? We all know that that's going to be one of the biggest questions for the Raiders moving forward. Uh, Alex Leatherwood's a guy that we tried to talk to in the locker room following the game. He uh, he avoided us like the plague, so he was out yeah. of there. He wasn't talking to us. But what do you think? What do you think the future holds for Alex? Gosh. I'm going to go – I've been thinking about this all day. Trying to come up with who they're going to keep. That tells you I'm all you need go, to know, right? That tells you a I'm lot. When you're minority, with... maybe it's minority at this point, and I think they're going to keep them. Okay, I think they're going to keep them. Um, you know, it is a dead cap hit if you let them go, um, and I don't know if they're that worried about that. Like I said, I think it, they've proven with some of the contracts already they've let go bad contracts that you say, okay, they, that's not a big deal to them. I mean, I'm sure it's a big deal, but not as to where you keep a guy if you don't think he deserves it. Um, I do think they're looking to trade him, but again, you and I talked this morning. What's the value here? Right. You know, is anyone willing to give up any kind of asset for him? I mean, probably not at this point. And I don't know why I think they're going to keep him. I just have a feeling that they're going to keep him. And what the explanation will be, I have no idea. Because, look, everyone has seen how he's performed. Um, they could say maybe they've seen stuff that we haven't, and they know football better than we do. So maybe they have seen, you know, seen some things that we haven't. Um, but it's pretty wide open there in terms of what we've been able to, you know, view of the guy and how he's played. Um, and I probably will be proven wrong tomorrow or in the next 24 hours because I think it'll be moved before then. But um, I'm going to say they keep Leatherwood. Well, Ed, I'll tell you right now, it tells me all I really need to know when you said you've been thinking about it all day, and this is a first-round <laughs> well, pick it shows from a year how, ago. It shows you how pathetic the day has been. 
<laughs> it's been a pretty pathetic day if I'm thinking about Alex Leatherwood at all. Never mind all day about what they're going to do with him. <laughs> well, you had a really good guest on the morning show at 730 That's this right. morning, so that was good. That's right. Darn right we did. Darn right. Go ahead, DeMond. <laughs> all right, Ed, so you think that they're going to keep Alex Leatherwood? I'm in the minority with you there as well because, hey, man, at least give him another shot. Let's just see what he has. You know, he's a first-round pick, and you don't want that dead cap. But what move would the team make? whether keeping someone or releasing someone that would surprise you the most? Oh, that's a great question. Um, maybe I, I think he's on the team. I think he's done enough, but and Q can come in on this one. Someone like Deshaun Bauer, mm. who played really well in the preseason. Um, you know, if they let him go, it surprise me. Masterson would surprise me. Yeah. I think he's played himself into to a role. Um, I think they're going to probably keep six receivers, so I think DJ Turner and, and Johnson are on it. Um, uh, I think. What, what, what do you got? Like, well, if you include Johnson, five running backs. Yeah. Um, if they keep yeah. six receivers, um, so some names like that. Um, I think it's pretty, and that's the thing. I think it's pretty set most of, most throughout. There's some defensive guys. You know, um, Q said it this morning. I tend. I'm going to agree with him on Amik Robertson. Um, I think uh, he might be let go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, everyone says 53 is hard to get to. You can probably sit down Q and what type out, you know, 48. I mean, right. you know, there's, you yeah. know, there's, there's always just that like four or five that you're not really sure about the other woods in that camp. I guess Masterson would be in that camp until we actually see he makes the team. Um, but for the most part, you can kind of go through and, 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 you know, hit most of them. Yeah, Ed, you mentioned maybe keeping six receivers is what the Raiders will do. Let me throw something out and get your opinion on it. Zuber, Troy Brown 2.0, receiver <laughs> and safety. You get two yeah. roster spots for the price of one. I don't think he makes it, DeMond. I, I, I don't think he makes it. Now, when we came on the air, you asked me if, uh, if Doug Brumfield was going to win the Heisman. So <laughs> I'm going to say no to that right Ed, that now. that was off air, and no one heard me say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um. It was a great, I mean, what a great sequence there to catch a pass and intercept a pass. Um, and then I think he went, oh, then he, he, he covered kicks. Um, but I'm going to say, uh, I don't know what Q thinks. He can tell me. I, I don't think he makes it. Yeah, I don't either. I'm not, I'm not convinced that he makes it. I thought it was a great moment. thought it was great that yeah. he followed directions and did what he was supposed to do, and he was rewarded with the interception. But I don't think that that's ultimately going to be enough. The only thing I would say about Zuber is he does have New England ties. So there's always, you know, there's, from- there's always that. You know, that's a great point by you. That, that's the one thing that we're going to see when we see this 53. Will there be cases where guys make it and you kind of uh, raise your eyes and he has New England ties? Right. Like that's, I didn't even think of that point. That's a great point because they do seem comfortable with people they've been around. Right. Um, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that if the guy can play. Um, you know, it doesn't really, as long as he can play, it doesn't matter where he came from. But I did not think of that point. That's a great point. And I still don't think he makes it. But right. if he did, would that be the deciding factor, that they're more comfortable with him because they knew about him? Right. That could be the, the deciding factor if it's that close. But I don't think it's that close. I mean, I really don't. So we'll see, obviously, come 1 o'clock tomorrow, uh, we'll know everyone who's on the roster as of, uh, well, that moment. And then uh, we'll go from there. Speaking of guys that – uh, have New England ties. How about Jermaine Illuminor? He's a guy who looks like he's in, yeah. in line right now to be the starting right tackle for one reason or the other. You know, the injuries to Brandon Parker, he's IR, so he's out for the season. Uh, Thayer Mumford, we don't know when he's coming back. Alex Leatherwood, he looks like depth at most if he's even on the team. You think Jermaine Illuminor could hold down that right tackle spot? Well, I think he gets the first shot, right? I think he's the, if, they, if they played the Chargers today, I think he's the starting right tackle. Right. So he's going to get a shot, and 
his his story is well chronicled in terms of him underachieving and him you know admitting to that and not doing what he's supposed to do to be a good player. So it seems like he's worked himself back and and has having the best camp he's probably ever had. And I think he gets the first shot at it. And again, like you said, um, would the faith have been in there him before had these guys not known about him? You know, he started I think a left tackle for four games for the Patriots before he got hurt. Um, yeah. I think the last time he was with them. So obviously, someone in New England thought he could play. Um, so he probably got real fortunate um, that these were the guys to come in, uh, especially after last year when he couldn't hold down that uh, spot for more than three games before they moved Leatherwood inside. Um, so he got real fortunate as to who came, who knew him. And, yeah, I think I think if they start today, he's the, he's the right tackle if they, if they had a game in about two hours. One guy that I really was hoping to see some from in the preseason that we unfortunately didn't get a chance to was Trayvon Mullen. Do you think he's yeah. good to go, or do you think that he should have got a little bit of burn, at least in that last game, a couple series? Well, I would have liked to, but if they held him out, there might have been a reason, or maybe they're trying to protect him. I would have liked to see more of him. Um, you know, remember the day he came back to practice, everyone was pretty pretty jazzed about that because, you know, he was actually finally out there. Um, you'd hope he's good to go, right? Um you know, he's, he's, you know, him, Rakia, um, I think Averett, um, you know, Darius Phillips, people like that, um, you know, all battling for those spots and playing time. But I think Trayvon, if he's good to go, is, you know, going to be in there. But you're right, it would have been nice to see him get a little more playing time. And that could have been holding him out, you know, just to be safe. That could have been holding him out that he wasn't completely ready um, when he came back. Um, I don't know what it was, but, um, you know, I think they need him. I think you're right. I think, you know, that scheme needs him to play and to play well. Absolutely. We're talking right now with Ed Graney from ESPN Las Vegas and the Las Vegas Review Journal here on NSA Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. Go ahead, Devon. All right, Ed, you laughed at me when I mentioned the Heisman (laughs) conversation. Is it too soon for the Heisman conversation? But let me just throw some stats at you, and you guys just imagine the player or the name. 356 passing yards and four touchdowns. 52 to 21 in the season opener. <laughs> Idaho Doesn't, State. Idaho State, brother. You got to play who's on the schedule, Q. True. I said that this morning. That's true, but that's not Heisman no, worthy. Right. We won Bama. How about that? I said it. <laughs> well, uh, one of the players out there said today, you know, the only team that can beat us is us. I, I think Bama could beat them, but um, <laughs> right. they're, they're, they're confident they should be. That was, a, that was a really good win for them. Look, it was. He played, he played exceptionally well, and he showed that he's by far, obviously, their best quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's finally he's got some big time weapons out there um, with Ricky and, and other receivers. So, you know, I said before the season, Demond, I said five. Um, I was flirting with six in a bowl, but there's a rough stretch there in the Mountain West when they get Fresno and San Diego State and people like that. So the Air Force is really really good this year, mm-hmm. where there's going to be a tough stretch for them. But you know, look, the numbers four four and a half. I think they're going over that. And watching Doug the other day um, showed me that you know I'm not, I'm not going to change my mind. Uh, a little a little issue with the offensive line giving up some sacks in the second half there. But, again, you're playing twos and threes at that point, um, even though they played their offensive line for most of the game. But I thought it was a good win. Here's the thing. Beat people you're supposed to beat. Mm-hmm. Blow out people you're supposed to blow out, which they did, and, and steal a win when you're not supposed to. And all of a sudden you're flirting with six wins. Exactly. That's exactly how it happens. And so six wins has got to be, I mean, like you said, five. Six is the number that you want to get to. You want to be bowl eligible. Yep. So, yep. Uh, you know, they start out the only way you can start out, right? One or no. You know, you yep. can't start out any better. So uh, no. there you go. They no, got they a W well. right there. Exactly right. So uh, I'm okay with that. Of course, they have a, t- a tough game against Cal coming up. They've got uh, they got a pretty tough schedule. Notre Dame, it's not Bama, but Notre Dame is still Notre Dame. That's on the schedule as well. So uh, it's going to be a, a, a tough stretch for UNLV. But, again, starting off 1-0 is the, is, is the best they could do 
after one game. So, uh, Ed, fantastic stuff, man. What do you got coming out on uh, on uh, in the journal or else um, uh, on the ESPN Las Vegas as well? I'm going to be right where you're at tomorrow looking at the 53 and uh, maybe talking some VGK where news on now that Mark Stone might not start training camp for VGK. That's kind of huge news because of the yeah. back surgery. So you want him to be healthy. If they're going to do anything this year, he's got to be healthy. Um, and then, like you, just looking at the 53 and uh, either be surprised or shaking our head that we agree. <laughs> right. All right. Well, it should be interesting. Uh, it'll all happen tomorrow at 1 o'clock is when we'll have to know or we'll find out what, uh, what the 53 man is looking like. So, Ed, thank you so much for your time. I always appreciate you. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. See you tomorrow. All right, there he goes. Ed Graney right there from our sister station, ESPN Las Vegas, morning press box, uh, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. with Tyler Bischoff. And then, of course, he's also a great writer for the RJ, does fantastic stuff, so make sure to check that out. Right now, DeMond, we have tickets, and uh, this is Motley Crue and Friends. Who's all, who's all going to be at this, uh, this concert that we have? Motley Crue and Def Leppard. Wow, that's right, Def Leppard. That's right. <laughs> Those are my people right there. How did I forget Def Leppard, man? Shout out to Pour Some Sugar on Me. One of my favorite songs coming up. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, right now, caller number nine. You're going to get hooked up with a pair of tickets, 702-365-9200. 702-365-9200. Caller number nine is what we're looking for, hooking you up with a pair of tickets to go see Motley Crue and Def Leppard. This is Rare Nation Radio at 920. What does it mean to be a Raider? What to you, what does it mean to be a Raider? Man, being a Raider is not just being a football player. It's not about the just the jersey or just the just the helmet. It's about a lifestyle. It's about it's about loyalty. It's about doing whatever you have to do to help your brothers, to help your family. That's what it's all about. It's never putting yourself above the shield. That's what being a Raider is all about. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. September 9th. Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Joan Jett, Poison, all come to town. Just hooked up a pair of tickets. Matter of fact, Raider 66 got hooked up with a pair of tickets. And uh, congratulations, Raider 66. And also, welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother? Hey, thank you very much. Hey, and being a Raider is also about winning. And that's, I guess, what I just did. Hey, <laughs> I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to make you and uh, DeMont my favorite show now, too, because uh, the morning tailgate, I tried to win and I uh, couldn't get through. So uh, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate you. And yeah, we're the we're the favorite show by default. I'll take that. Hey, man, whatever way you can get it, I'll take it. But congratulations. That should be a really fun show. Again, Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Joan Jett, Poison. Uh, you'll definitely have a good time checking that out. We have more of those tickets on the way. But uh, following the game on Friday, got an opportunity to go into the locker room, was able to talk to multiple players, including Meek Robertson, Cleve Farrell, and also offensive lineman Jackson Barton. How do you feel you, 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 you know, ended this week? I felt like as a team we took a really big step forward. Uh, we had some issues coming out of Miami that we saw in the film that we needed to fix, and then we focused on them because we knew uh, New England played a very similar kind of scheme, defense on them, so we focused up on weekend. I felt like we took a big step forward going into the night. What's these next 48 hours or so like uh, you know, for you, kind of wondering what the future holds, and, and do you feel like you've stated your case to be on this team? I mean, I, I felt like I did a good job out there. I can't. I can only speak for myself. I, I put in my work, but I felt like uh, it was really fun playing with all these guys, like going hand in hand, working with them. But uh, as far as it goes, as far as forty eight hours is, man, I just gotta let the chips fall as they fall. Thank you, man. How did everything start to start to develop as you guys continue to grow as a unit? I mean, we we knew it was going to be a new offensive system this year, so. Uh, going to OTAs, we had some growing pains, learning learning the scheme, learning the system down. But uh, 
I felt like over this whole uh, training camp, like we really came together, uh, took the extra time to get together, like go over it, really hammered down the details, and it just it showed. One of the things we've been talking about a lot is that the coaches aren't just coaching, but it seems like they're doing a lot of teaching. Are you picking up on that as well? Yeah, they're doing a lot of good teaching out there. I mean, like I said, it was a brand new system for everybody, new team, new coaches, yeah. new everybody. So we had we all had to get familiar with each other and get familiar with each other fast. So I feel like for the most part, we all did a good job uh, buckling down and just learning what we could do. I know wins and losses in the preseason don't matter, but it's still a win, right? And you still yeah. like to see wins. So what, what does that mean? How does that help the team when you see yourselves go 4-0 in the preseason? I mean, it's fun It's fun to win, but at the end of the day, right. um, I think the most important fact is we got better as a team. We found mm-hmm. we we go into the game knowing we need to work on some stuff, and I feel like we took a step forward. And I think that's the biggest thing coming out of preseason, like taking our issues we found on the field and fixing them in the game. So, Final question for you. You're here at Allegiant Stadium for the second time in, you know, in the preseason. Yeah. What did you think of the crowd? Oh man, it's wonderful. Energy. I love I love the stadium. I love seeing that energy out there as a team. Jackson Barton right there and I'll tell you uh Foster Mor- Morrow or Foster Moreau, whatever you want to however you want to say his name tied in. Uh he was sitting right next to him when we were talking to him and, and when I asked him about going 4-0 and it doesn't matter. The first thing he said is it matters. First thing he said. Now, of course, he didn't uh, hop on and, and talk, but he looked at me and said, it matters. So, obviously, all those players in the locker room feel like that they all, just like Jackson said, got better. And side note on Jackson, he was the one, the offensive lineman that me and uh, me and Vinny had the running joke about, like, that dude looks like a, he looks like a tough dude, like an intimidating guy. Well, he doesn't have a missing tooth anymore. It's like, I don't know what happened. Like, he had a missing tooth one practice. He looked over and me and Vinny saw him, and he really looked like one of those dudes that, you know, like you don't want to come across on the street. But now every time I see him and hear from him, he sounds like and looks like a big teddy bear, like it's the, the nicest guy ever. So kind of killed our theory on that uh, Jackson Barton was one of the tough dudes on the – or looking – tough-looking dudes on the roster. And the celebration that he had after that touchdown really dispels the notion that he's a big, mean, tough guy. <laughs> I know, I, mean, come on. I know, man. I was trying to give him a little street cred that I guess he doesn't have anymore, but a uh, good guy right there. I think that he's done enough to be some quality depth along that offensive line. Uh, he's he's proven it. He's gone out there and played the left tackle position during the preseason. I think he continued to get better. I think the offensive line as a unit continued to get better, but there's obviously still a big hole on that right side. Coming back, when we kick off hour number two, you'll hear from Raider alumni, the legend, Jim Plunkett. You'll hear a little bit from Joshua Daniels and more. we got plenty of texts and calls to get to. This is Raider Nation Radio 920.